This is Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. Today, I'm speaking with Brett Bauman. Brett is an award-winning business and life coach and spends his time working with executives, business leaders, and high-performing individuals to advance to the next level in each area of their life. He's also a best-selling author and was voted the top coach to work with by Apple News. In this one, we dive into Brett's journey from actor, musician, and salesperson to entrepreneur and coach the power of place and how one's environment and city has a big impact on performance, habits, passions, purpose, mindset shifts, and what's necessary to achieve outstanding results, and so much more. So with that intro out of the way, let's get to the show. Here's Brett Bauman. I have so many questions around coaching, starting with what is the profile and personality of your typical coaching client? Yeah, you know, it's evolved over the years, but I'm really happy with where in the past, I'd say seven or eight years, it's evolved to be. And so I really put it as high-performing individuals. That typically turns into high-performing executives and entrepreneurs, because a lot of times those are the people taking action. For me, in order to, I, I'm, I'm a blessed place where I get to pick and choose my clients. So a couple things that are factors, criteria for me to take somebody on Number one, they have to be ready to take action. They have to be committed. You know, if somebody's not going to do the work, then I don't want to waste their time or mine. But a real big thing for me is somebody who is working on something, whether it's a product, a service, a company, a profit, something where I believe in what they're doing and that they're making a positive impact in the world. Helping one person is great, but when I can help somebody and they go out and help hundreds or thousands of people, that really makes it a bigger impact for me. And that's really what makes the change. So I really focus on that impact piece. So these are action-oriented folks, high performers. Is there a through line here? Like what are they typically struggling with? Yeah, everybody comes to me in one of two places, Adam. Number one, they're stuck, especially with COVID happening in the past couple of years. People were very successful. Maybe they were an executive at a company for many years and they were let go or their whole life changed. And so They'd been comfortable for a long time and performing at a certain level and something hit some event, and now they don't know what to do. So they're stuck in this place. and They don't know how to move forward or they have been doing really well and they're very successful and they're at the top of their field and they don't know where to go from there. So I help them discover their passions. I help them lean into the impact they want to make and the lifestyle they want to live and make a shift in how they're managing their life and their time. And those are really uh, inspiring and enjoyable clients to work with. So how do they find you? I mean, this is a space that is so competitive. At least it seems to me that anybody that wants to hang a ribbon on their social media page and call themselves a coach can do so. Number one, what makes a really good coach is someone that doesn't have an ego. It's not about me. You know, this is my calling. I feel blessed from God. I love what I do every day. I can't believe I get to do it, but I get out of the way. I'm not trying to be like, I love these people to do this stuff. Tony Robbins, man, incredible career. It's amazing what he's done. But I'm not interested in having my name bolstered on billboards and all over the place. I want to make an impact. I love my life, but I really invest in the person. So I think number one, the biggest thing is the engagement level. You know, when I started doing this a long time ago, you set up something, you do a session with somebody once a week. You know, you talk once a week and it's great because you get results. But it's like if you're 50 pounds overweight and you want to get in shape for the summer, you can't show up at the gym once a week and think anything's going to happen. 
So it's the level of engagement that I have with my clients. I only take on a certain amount of people because I know there's a high level of engagement and accountability and inspiration I need to apply to them. And so we work together. We talk three, four times a week. I have a coaching app that also assists us. They're getting daily roadmaps of what to do and nudges and reminders of where they're supposed to be at accountability. We measure their progress. So it's really engaged. I tell them I'm going to be the voice in your head until my voice is in your head permanently. And so one thing is that level of engagement, it's getting out of the way so that it's about the client. It's about the results. The other thing too is somebody comes to me and I'm like, look, I'm not going to tell you that I know what you should be doing, but I'm really good at helping you figure it out. I'm not going to say, oh, I've been successful and I've worked in many industries from real estate to mortgage to finance to tech. I mean, you name it. But I don't go, hey, I got all the answers. I don't. But I'm a really good puzzle solver. So I help somebody figure out what they're not doing that they need to do, where they have blind spots or what they're not leading into that could be something that could really up-level their life. That's a holistic approach. So we're working on your career, your relationships, your health and fitness, your spirituality, your hobbies, everything. Because too many people are a business coach. You just do business. And then your relationship is garbage. And your health goes down the tubes. And those are just landmines, I call them. You know, you get really successful in your business. Like you said, where do most people come to me from? Highly successful, very wealthy, and completely unfulfilled. And it's funny because when we get the first conversation, I'll say, what would make this relationship successful for you? And somebody will tell me, oh, I've got 10 million in the bank. My company's making X amount. I'd love to scale it three times and have 20 more million in the bank. And very quickly, they realize it's not about the money. I'm like, well, you're unfulfilled now. So what's the difference? They keep making money and doing things and not feeling any level of success. And the funny thing is, it really comes down to peace of mind. Almost everybody at the end of the day wants peace of mind. That's more time for themselves, time with their family, better health, again, making the impact. And it usually takes four to six weeks and there's a massive shift with people who never would have thought this way. Let me double click on this idea of the intersection between life and business. So you said there's too many people out there that sort of peddle themselves as a business coach. So just explain how someone who has a coaching practice that extends beyond business can help someone who's, say, struggling with alcohol and drug abuse or has PTSD related to something that's happened in the past to achieve those same outcomes as someone who says to you, Brett, I want to double top line revenue next year. No one's said to me ever. And, you know, two decades of doing this, I wish I'd have gone faster. No one ever says it. You need to slow down. When you slow down, what happens is you're in the present moment. And it sounds like you get very spiritual. But the funny thing is I've grown to so much spirituality in my work over the past two decades. I've realized that's really where it lies. I mean, if you think about it, whether it's meditation or breath work or letting go or whatever you want to call it, inner peace, it comes to a higher accountability and it comes to letting go of things needing to be a certain way. Right? And that's what happens. That's really the answer of what happens there is people say, my business has to be like this because I'm looking and judging myself externally, or I don't have enough because I'm measuring myself against this other person. And so it's really, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about business or a relationship or your health. It's a shift in your perspective of what value is and how you approach life. Because really you should become, in my opinion, in my experience, someone who values and measures your behaviors, your accountability, your performance in the same way across all genres. And it is, are you pushing for something because you never feel like you have enough? Are you doubting that you're ever good enough? Are you limiting yourself and telling you can't do something? Are you externally measuring against other people? Or are you finding inner peace? Because really, you realize you really have everything you need at all times. But what most people do is they fret over the past, 
constantly, like worried about the decisions they made, or they're constantly worrying about what's going on in the future. And the thing is, you're never present. And the thing about that, whether you're going back to ancient texts, whether you're going to Buddhism, whether you're looking at something that is a business book that you're picking up off the shelf right now, they're all saying the same thing. And it's when you let go of all of these external stresses, you become the best version of yourself. It's one of the mantras and things that I teach my clients to do is every day show up as the best version of yourself. So it's about managing yourself back to getting clear and saying, okay, I have a vision for where I'm going and I'm inspired. I have a clear path and a strategy and now I have faith. And that's the big one that I'm doing the right things and I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'll tell you, Adam, the biggest thing I've learned in the past decade, and it's really become strong and prominent in my life in the past five years, has been understanding the power of surrendering. Every time when you surrender, you learn, become better, and another better opportunity comes around the corner. Now, I don't know if that's divine and it's, you know, it was waiting for you or it's because you start thinking better and you level up, but it's just a fact. When you surrender, you're just a better version of yourself. You show up, you still stay as that person that is grounded, that is solid, that is thinking creatively and thinking strategically instead of being ticked off and angry and throwing the whole plan out. You just start to see your performance go up. I read a book a few years ago called The Surrender Experiment. It's by Michael Singer. Do you know that book? Yeah, and I love Michael Singer. He's my favorite author's. So this is underpinned by much of this same premise, right? This book, you know, if you have surrender on one end of the spectrum and you have, I don't know what's on the other end of the spectrum, it's absolute control. It seems to me that there is some middle ground here that a type A personality might say to you, Brett, like, I'm not going to absolutely surrender. It's challenging because you have to learn patience. And that's something a lot of A type high performers do not have. But again, once you learn it, what you realize is that's the key to inner peace. You're not going to find inner peace without patience. You're not going to find inner peace without faith. You're not going to find inner peace without a lot of practice. But again, it's okay to butt up against these resistances, these struggles, these obstacles, because that's growth, right? The struggle is where you grow because every struggle is teaching you something to get better at. When you're struggling, you need the patience. When you're struggling, you need the vision. Maybe your plan is not clear. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're not surrendering. Maybe you're not working hard enough. But you can't get past the struggle, otherwise you're just not prepared for the battle ahead. What do you think entrepreneurs get wrong? For you, what are some of those pieces of bad advice that you still scratch your head and say, yeah, this is totally surprising? So number one is people overwork. Because the thing is, they're overworking with a bad plan. So what they're doing is they're trying to make up with the fact that they don't have the skills, the resource, or the right strategic plan in place. They think that the hard work's going to get them there. And guess what? It's not. It's smart work that gets you there when it's inspired and passionate and clear. So number one is overworking. Number two is it comes down to not being specific enough. Too many people make their plans externally. I mean, it is challenging because you want to learn from other people, but you're not supposed to do what they did. You're supposed to look at the mistakes they made and gain the wisdom. So people try to just duplicate everybody's business and duplicate everybody's plan all the time. And it's not authentic. And so most people are not specific enough about their plan. And I mean, you got to get like really specific about what you're doing. When you have those things in place, then you get to learn how your balance works. I think that's the last thing is, again, where it comes down to working more inspired by your work. I train my clients. I've worked through myself with NLP, neurolinguistic programming, to understand how to reprogram my mind and to use peak performance to enhance my performance so that I can do more in less time. So you got to have focused time. Otherwise, your mind is wrapped all the time in this creation. And the funny thing is, 
it's anything you do too much, you lose the flavor, the flair for. So by setting aside specific time, like this is what I'm going to sit down, I'm going to be creative. And then you let it go. You're able to enjoy your life. It takes way less time. I give myself two hours, sometimes four hours a week is all to be like really creative that I'm not digesting, that I'm actually building. One thing that I want to come back to is this idea of passion and purpose. This seems to be sort of the North Star for a lot of people. Like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Is what I'm working on contributing to my bigger purpose? Lots of people understand the idea of passion, right? I have passion for this hobby or this business or whatever. I'm interested in this. I'm interested in that. What is the connection between passion and purpose? And what is your process for uncovering one's purpose? The key is this. Most people, when they think of passion, they think of two things. Number one, they think of some minister on stage giving a you know, sermon at a church, or they think, oh, yeah, I'm passionate about playing the guitar. And that's great. But again, you're wrong. That's generic and you're never going to get very far. So my coup de grace that kind of makes me different. And the thing that I'm most excited about is helping people discover their passions. And I have a process to take people through at the beginning of our work together. Again, like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, I don't pretend to know what's right for anyone, but I'm excellent at helping you figure it out. So most people will come to me and say, great, what are your passions? And they'll tell me something that's very generic. Like I had this doctor come to me many years ago and told me he was lost his passion, had this amazing life, had been a Doctors Without Borders, done two tours in Iraq. He was a neurologist and a cardiologist. And here he was, finished with all this work, had everything in his life, couple homes, boat, beautiful wife, kids. And he's sitting here in front of me and he has no passion. I'm like, well, why aren't you passionate? You just told me everything you're passionate about. If you know everything you're passionate about, why are you not passionate? And to make a long story short, what he realized, what I helped him uncover was passion isn't being a doctor. The passion for him was saving lives with his hands. He needed to be there in a moment of action, in a moment of need, and do something with his hands to be his fullest passion. So now he can understand, oh, wow. So if I can apply my hands to something in that present moment when it's needed, that's my highest fulfillment. That's my purpose. To make it simple for people listening, when you wake up each day, if you don't feel passionate, excited about your life, or inspired, what's missing? You can't tell me. You ask the average person, they can't tell you, what do you need to do today so we can get you passionate, get you on board, and get you going? And they're like, uh, what do you want to do? What do you love to do? Oh, I like to go to the park and play tennis. Okay, great. Is that going to fuel your life? No, you like to do that. You like to do it. You're not passionate about it. That's not your unconscious driver. That's not how you're built. That's something you're doing to tease yourself and have fun and just be okay for the moment. But if you're talking about a passion, it is the thing that even when you're sick and laying in the bed dead, you can't stop yourself from wanting to do it and doing it. It's why we see these super high successful performers, these icons of our past, these great leaders in their industries, driving through these unbelievable challenges because they've tapped into this passion. And so the passion is knowing what these things are that are fundamental to how you approach life, your days, your goals, your projects, your problems, your obstacles. And what I help people do is figure out their top five passions so that every day you review these, it actually activates your mind. What's incredible, when you read these things to yourself and you remind yourself like a mantra, and then you meditate on it, you take yourself into a state of thinking like you're saying, be in the exit, think about it right now, think about living that passion right now, having it part of your day. It, it kicks something into your mind and brings you into a different mindset. Then we choose one or two of those things to just take a simple step on every day. If you want to be a best-selling author, you don't have to write a new book every day. When you're not feeling passionate or something's off, or maybe somebody brings you a project and says, hey, would you like to be a part of this? You pull these out and they're the filter in which the lens in which you make decisions in your life. If you pour passion into your life each day, 
you're going to go far. And what happens is you start heading on a journey that first of all, keeps you present. So it doesn't really matter so much about knowing the purpose yet. You're excited, you're fulfilled, you're seeing great results and incredible momentum. And you start to discover who you are and what your purpose is. You start to go, oh, wow, these are the things I like to do. This is where I'm going to lean into. This is where I get the best results. Man, I'm really drawn to this. And you start to say, okay, I am refining myself and getting crystal clear on this is my purpose. I'm here to help these specific people do this specific thing to achieve this specific goal. And that's how you get to it. There's a book by Cal Newport. It's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. The thesis of that book is around the idea of passion and following one's passion, except his thesis is that following your passion is actually terrible advice. And instead, the way that you become really passionate about something is to become exceptional at that thing. So if you can become an exceptional coach, you will develop a deep passion for coaching because you're now exceptional at that thing. And it doesn't matter what the thing is, you know, insert guitar or writing or business building. But the idea is that following your passion just because you're passionate about it is terrible advice. Here's what I think. I think that what he's talking about is the same as what I'm saying in a different way, because what it is, is again, most people identify passion correctly. So what's happening is if someone's like, I'm passionate about the guitar. But like, why? What do you want to do with it? Are you passionate about sitting around and just clunking at it at your house? Or do you want to go play in small lounges? Do you want to be the world's best guitarist? Do you want to be a blues guitarist? Do you want to be... So I think what he's saying is that a lot of times we're on the wrong roadmap to get there because if you're not following the right dream and the right path, you're not going to succeed. But the opposite of that, Adam, the thing is, is when he says, you know, becoming exceptional, I can tell you the average person... And God bless us all, we're trying. I have so much empathy for people. But the average person is so bad at following through, so bad at showing up. You're not going to become exceptional at something if you're not passionate about it. You're just not going to do it. I mean, I have had people come to me dying. I had people like losing everything. I mean, everything. Multi-big million dollar companies, their families, every single thing. And they don't work for it. So you're going to tell me somebody's actually going to sit down and become exceptional at something that they're not that passionate about. I just don't believe that at all. You're not going to put the time and you're not going to put the effort. Even people who are exceptional at something don't put that much effort into it. Otherwise, every single person in the world, talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. Otherwise, this whole world would be filled with brilliant geniuses of every single thing we do, and it is not. I'll tell you, I've, I've talked to thousands and thousands of people in all walks of life and all countries and ages, and uh, I ask people, what are you passionate about? Do you know? Are you fulfilled? And most people are not. Most people don't know what they want to do. Some are lucky enough to be living a life that is abundant, and therefore they are grateful for what they have, but I would not say they feel like they're on the track to their purpose. I think it's normal for people to have different passions and different pursuits as they go through life. Do you feel like people also can have multiple purposes, or do you feel like people have one purpose, and the life journey is about uncovering that one purpose, that one thing? You know, I feel that in my experience that there is generally, I, I feel limited saying one purpose, but I feel that it is a calling towards a specific outcome that they're producing in the world, an impact they're making in the world. And I feel that what happens is, is the experience of their lives shift those things. 
So somebody may be on a trajectory going somewhere and something tragic happens and it changes, right? Like you see these people who are movie stars and they're an incredible movie star. Everybody loves them. They're a celebrity. They're very successful. They love their life. And it looks like, wow, they're great. They're a great actor. They're doing really well. Everybody top of their field and bam, they get hit with a disease. Michael J. Fox, Selma Blair. So I think that sometimes we may not see, and this is where I think it gets the spirituality where it becomes divine, you know, where you may have a bigger calling on your life than you realize. You may think you're here for one thing and you're just, you're just a person. Some people are based on their experience and just who they are. They are driven to be successful, high-performing people. So no matter what you put in front of them, they're just going to soar at it, right? They're going to just excel. But the thing is, they may not be on their path, like I said before, to what that ideal thing is. They hit these later states where they go through like the Christopher Reeves or the Selma Blair, and all of a sudden they get this thing and they start making a change and they go, wow, this is what I'm really here for. Roger Federer, incredible tennis player. He'll tell you his greatest joy is helping build schools and helping children and philanthropy and giving back. I mean, he was like one of the biggest and greatest athletes of all time. And so I think that sometimes we don't uncover until we get later in life the wisdom of what we're really here for. So you are a two-time COO, most recently between 2018 and 2020, when you were COO of a sales and marketing firm. You've been a professional photographer. You've been an actor. You've been a show host. You've been a serial founder. And now, you know, 24 years into coaching, an exceptional leadership coach. So what is the intersection of all of these pursuits? Here's the first thing. I feel like I was very blessed by God. I was given a calling when I was very young, when I was born. I was here to do a certain thing, which is I've always connected with other people. I've always been able to see people for who they are. I've always had a great empathy for people and wanted to make them be seen, make them be heard. I wanted to learn about them and I wanted to light them up. So that's always been a part of my life. When I was younger, and I have an amazing family, my parents are my best friends and that I was blessed, again, going back to that opportunity is not equally distributed. I was blessed to be put in a place where I was fostered for my gifts and told to be what I wanted to be and drive for it. And you can do anything and try anything twice. And I was asked questions when something would go wrong or there was an effect, an event in the world, like what did that mean to you? So I was given an opportunity to grow and to speak and have a voice. But when I was younger, I thought that meant I wanted to be in entertainment. That's what you do as a kid, right? You know, you're going to be in sports and entertainment a lot of times. I played drums, I played guitar, I did plays, acted, all this stuff. I didn't realize until I got a little bit older that the reason I was interested in those things younger was because I really liked the psychology. I was always interested in the human condition and the behavior of what goes on, especially through communication. And so long story short, what happens, I took a track of evolving those skills from starting to manage people and build sales teams. Because again, it was about communication. It was about what they were thinking. And when they were talking to somebody else, I could see and hear things they didn't see and hear. And so I would say, oh, no, no, this is what they're trying to say, or try this, or you're not listening to the person. Look for the value, hear them, make them feel heard. And so it just kept evolving through this. And even the track, I didn't know I was an actor for a while and did some TV shows and did these things. I ran mortgage companies and real estate companies and insurance companies. But everything I did, it was always a breaking down to the individual. And so for me, the track continued to refine myself and I continued to follow this pursuit of growth, of knowledge. I think that's another thing that people don't do enough is just learn, learn obsessively. But I'm always reading books, listening to audiobooks, going to classes, going to trainings. So I went through a track of entertainment and entertainment quickly made me realize that it wasn't entertainment I wanted to do. It was all the connections, all the challenges, all the times I got to learn about people and their condition and the choices they made. And at the same time, while I was doing entertainment, I was managing companies and building companies and sales teams. And then I realized that I was having more success going that way because entertainment's great, but there's no consistency. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad or whatever. It just, it just happens. Like it's very hard to drive a 
direct path. And in my business life, it was growing and fostering and moving the way I wanted it to. I was very blessed in the early 2000s, I think it was 2003 or four, to go to an event. It was a luncheon event where this woman, Shelly Campbell, was speaking. And I just happened to go there because I was interested in networking that day. And when she started speaking, it just changed. I was like, this lady's incredible. She's dynamic. I love what she's talking about, what she's doing. And I went up to her and talked to her afterward. And she ended up mentoring me and became one of my first, well, I've had many mentors. I've been blessed, but she was the one that told me, she's like, Brett, if anybody's ever been a coach, it's you. So then I started this pursuit of rather than working at companies, I started looking for companies I could run or I could come in and innovate. I stopped looking for jobs. I didn't go to companies more and like go online and look a monster or find a job. I would actually look at a company and I would say, I want to work there. I want to work with them. I believe in their product. And I call them and say, hey, I'd like to come in and give you a proposal. I'm going to tell you how I can increase your company, how I can improve your sales team or show you what you're doing wrong. Give me one day to walk through. I'd just come through and I'd see what was going on. And I'd say, here's what I'm going to do for your company. I'd give them sign a proposal. Let's do a contract for 90 days. If I can meet this, blah, blah, blah. And I'd go in and just turn things around. And I started realizing, wow, I really have the ability to drive my own destiny. On the company side, if they said, yes, Brett, great, come in here, turn this company around. We're having these issues. We'll sign on to this 90-day mandate with you. What in their minds was going on? Were they hiring a coach per se? At the beginning, they hired me as a sales trainer. I came in as sales trainers for a lot. Then I was building call centers, still as a sales trainer, but call, you know, like kind of uh, through sales trainer or call center drives. Then after that, I started becoming a business consultant. So I was going in consulting the business and doing stuff like Deloitte, things like that, where I would go in and actually have a specific function. I'm going to build your operation team. I'm going to help your executive management team. I'm going to drive a specific part of the company. So I'd be coming in for a specific role. I also, a lot of times, would take a certain role at the company. I'd go in and become the VP of sales, the COO, the whatever it is. I would take a role so I'd have a specific corporate structure of what my responsibilities were. That gave me the acumen. That gave me the resources, the experience. And then after that worked so many years, I was like, okay, now I'm a coach and I come in differently. But you know, 24 years, you know, like coach, coach was a football coach. Coach was a tennis coach, was a baseball coach. When I started this stuff, I was using a pager. You know, people would send me a message. I had to pull off the car and go and tell a payphone to call somebody to talk about an appointment. So we're talking a totally different world. Coach was not really a term that was used and understood as something that somebody would bring you in for really until like the late 2000s. I was a business consultant, sales trainer through the early 2000s. Then it was a business coach through the like the mid later 2000s. I'd say by like eight, nine and 10, it developed and became coach and it was always coach. Now it's funny because people will call me and they'll say, I need a life coach. I need a business coach. I need an executive coach. I need a counselor. I need a and I'm like, look, it doesn't matter what you call me. I'm going to do the same thing. So it's the doorway that gets you into the help you need. But for me, it did become 100% coach by you know 2010. Well, people love labels, right? It helps them feel more confident about their buying decision. If they think in their mind they want a life coach, you can fill that gap. Great. You'll sign up as a life coach. But do you remember who that first coaching client was? The, the first one-to-one client that you coached? It's so funny because to me, there were so many people, you know, I would, I would have to go all the way back. And I would say, honestly, when I felt like I really had my first coaching client, even though I wasn't called a coach, my first experience of that was going all the way back to my restaurant experiences. Like I actually managed and was a general manager of a steakhouse in Chicago called Sullivan Steakhouse. And I went in, I was young. I mean, we're talking like early twenties, 21, something like that. And I went in with a group of people They were building this big steakhouse. I just moved from the Midwest and Peoria, Illinois to Chicago. And I was going there for acting. So at that point in time, I was like, I was studying this stuff, but I wasn't thinking of it this way. And I went in and they had like 100 people come in and interview to become a waiter at this place. And I went in just to get a job. I was up there to get, to get my move started. 
And quickly, I just, through a two-week process, I moved through this training so quick. They said, we'd like you to be a manager. And I started managing and this team came in from corporate and said, you need to be work with corporate. And then I started working with them. Within like a month, they had me an assistant GM in the place. And then the GM went through a breakdown and left. So within like two or three months, I was the general manager of this place that I just walked into. And every single person at that place I took under my wing. Every single person was different. People always manage, they manage from like a hectic mindset and looking at the whole business as like just a big entity. And I was like, this is not going to work like this. I need to take each person aside and I need to drive them and I need to understand why they're here because they're not going to listen to me, especially because I was young. I was really young. A lot of people are older than me. So I was like, the only way this is going to work is if I empathize and we can communicate at a level where I understand what is driving them to be here. I started beyond the business of the restaurant. I started coaching them in their life, helping them with their relationship, improving things. And that really clicked a button in my mind. So if I really say when it started, that was when it started for me. And then I had many people who were individual one-on-one throughout the years after that. But it's funny thinking back, there was a, li- a lady named Susie that I actually met when I first moved to LA. And I remember I moved into a townhome and she was living down the street from me right there in the townhome complex. And she came up to me one day and just asked me a question. She said, you always have a smile. You always seem so bright. She's like, how are you so happy? She's like, I'm always going through all this stress and depression. And I said, I explained to her, I said, what's going on? We had like a 20, 30 minute conversation. And I thought in my mind, I was like, you know what? I could help this person as the first, first, first person I individually offered and, and charged directly for my services as a coach. What is the impact that your external environment has on you as a professional and you as a person? So you come from Peoria, suburbs of Illinois. I think that's three or so hours from Chicago. You're now based in Vegas. You did a stint in LA. How do you think about the power of place, I guess, is my question. And for those of us that are wrestling with this question of, you know, is this city the right place for me or for my family or for my kids? How would one best answer that question? For me, every single thing I do, and this has been a product of a lot of work and development and making mistakes and learning and growing from it. It's not like I'm just like waving a wand, have all these magic skills, but everything I do is extremely intentional. My words, my actions, my choices. And I live in Las Vegas very much by choice. Every place I've moved to since I was in college, I have done a demographic study. What is the demographic of the people, the age, the careers, the money, the opportunities? I'm always looking at, is it an emerging city of what's going on? If it's emerging, Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite authors. And you look at like uh, outliers and it's like understanding where you need to be or what you need to do. Because if you're going to do a certain thing, you know, it's like you're not going to live in the desert. Well, now you would, (laughs) that's funny, now you would live here for hockey with our, you know, amazing Golden Knights. But like you look at like places where you're going to go that are going to foster what you need in your external environment, like you're saying. And so it's so important. I came to Las Vegas very specifically. So when I was doing all this coaching and consulting for so long, you know, when you're starting out, you don't get to like choose everything you want to do, right? You got to put in some grind and got to earn it. So I had clients all over the world. I was George Clooney up in the air. I had to travel. I had to fly places. I had to drive places. It drove me crazy. I was very passionate about the work I was doing, but it was exhausting. You know, I'm in Portland. I'm in Phoenix. I'm in San Diego. I'm in Chicago. I'm in Boston. I'm in New York. I'm back in LA. You know, I had clients in Canada, clients in London, and it was time zones and this and that and stuff all over the place. Just by the grace of God, so grateful. I had a lot of work start coming to me in Las Vegas. So I started coming out here. I was working for many years. This is back in like the mid-2000s. I started coming out and worked with the Palms and with Bellagio and with Hard Rock when I used to be here and a couple of different casinos and entertainment industries here. 
and they would put me up for a while. I'd have a stint where I was working two weeks or three months or six months with a company. And so when I came out, I would just say, hey, you know what? Put me up in Green Valley for like the next three months or for the next month, put me in Summerlin or put me down on the strip in this place. And so I explored the area that I was in, but I had all this time coming here and I got to know the city and I was just coming because it was the work that I was getting. It was great work and I enjoyed it. It was a short stint from LA or Southern California. And every time I was here, all of my clients that were all around the world would come to me. When I was living in California, Southern California, I had to go to everybody. And it was a nightmare traveling out there. I mean, just leaving your home could be a couple hours. But I would come here and my client would say, oh, wait a minute. Oh, you're in Vegas? I'll come to you. I'll be there next week. Every time I'm in Vegas for a stint, everyone in the world comes to me, including my friends. Every single person I want to see comes to me and I don't have to go anywhere else. So number one, that started to become really attractive to me because the traveling slowed down and everybody was excited to come see me. I love the dichotomy here. I talked about this the other day with a friend of mine. The fact I, I'm about 10 minutes away from Mandalay Bay in the airport. So I can literally get to some of the craziest places in the world, like most dynamic food entertainment you can imagine in 10 minutes. But I'm also 15 minutes away from the mountains, which is where I prefer to go. I used to think I was an ocean purse. I lived in the beach in Newport and I used to have to listen to the ocean at night out of my room and it drove me crazy. <laughs> You'd think it'd be beautiful. And it was actually making me crazy. And the bells dinging out from like the little ship things. And it sounds so peaceful, but it kept me awake. And I was like, wow, I can't believe this. I have this beautiful home and I don't want to be here. Now being here in the mountains and I drive up and go to Mount Charleston in the snow and it just fills my soul. And so I think it's so important to find a place that resonates with you. Brett, super enjoyable conversation. Thank you for spending the time. For those that want to follow you and learn more, where do you hang out on social? You can always search my name. Luckily, it's I got a good presence online. So if you search, you know, Brett Ballman, you're going to find me. But I'd say my website, you know, brettballman.com. Instagram's a great place to find me. I got a lot of presence there and engagement. But LinkedIn is also great. You know, that's kind of what I use as my driver. I think that's where a lot of my type of clients are because we're usually, again, the people that are active running businesses. But anywhere you look, you'll find me. And I'm more than happy to answer questions or help anybody. I really love, you know, like I said, I pick and choose my clients. There's only a certain amount of people I can work with at a time, but I always want to make sure that I'm helping anybody that's looking to take that journey. Well, Brett, all the best for 2024. Thanks for coming on, man. Adam, thank you so much. Real pleasure, my friend. And congratulations on all your success and look forward to us staying connected, my friend. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Entrepreneurs Exposed is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at scriberbase.com. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. It helps our audience find us. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash E2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.
Future Cast.